What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Real Ones Canes podcast. I'm the Beast Brian London. My co-host is Brandon O'Doy. Please do me a favor. It is picking up steam. Those numbers are going up, Brandon, big time, exponentially climbing because people are doing what we're telling them, which is going to subscribe to the podcast wherever they get their podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, and uh, on the Believe Network. We love the people from Believe. They've uh, put us out there, so go go check it out there. Plus, the YouTube channel is getting thousands of hits. We love that as well. And we got a big one today, Brandon. Yesterday was the early National Signing Day, and it was a little bit chaotic, a little bit chaotic. There were some heart palpitations, <laughs> but when it was all said and done, the University of Miami, by all uh, reports, a, a top five class, and Mario Cristobal and his staff um, have just done an amazing job over the last couple of years, really doing a, a, a great job, both uh, yeah. in signing day and in the portal and talent acquisition. They, this is where they excel. And um, just what were your general thoughts on yesterday and, and the job that Mario and his staff were able to do? Well, it's like all the national pundits have been saying for so many years. Mario Cristobal is an ace recruiter. And so I got a chance to get more information and kind of get a little bit more background. And, you know, you know why I can't say it publicly. But at the end of the day, what you need to know about Mario Cristobal is he's willing to work harder and he's willing to go longer than any coach in college football. And so because he has that kind of work ethic because he's not taking no for an answer until it's absolutely done, irreversible, and cannot happen. What you need to understand about your football coach, Canes fans, is that he's going to put the time and effort in. You're never going to lose a kid because he was not recruited. That's just not going to happen with this Mario Cristobal Kane staff. And then what I have seen and, and, and been blessed to be able to see this up close is he will apply – the appropriate amount of pressure on his staff to reach the levels of excellence that he demands in this recruiting. I I had uh, a good friend of mine on the staff tell me he's never seen a head coach with a commitment to recruiting like Mario Cristobal. Just saying he's approached recruiting from a whole – I mean, this is a veteran high school – this is a veteran college football coach telling me Man, dude, I've been a part of a lot of staffs. I've never had to recruit like I have to recruit under Mario Cristobal. So when you talk about now another top five class, I mean, this is going to be the norm. And eventually what you're going to see is there are just too many Jimmys and Joes for other teams to deal with. I mean, because you're keeping a lot of kids home. You're grabbing some national kids in some spots that typically – you know, you don't see Miami do in the past. And at the end of the day, you've got NIL figured out. So that's a really dangerous combination, you know, and this is what people always fear with Miami. Yeah, let's just talk real quick on the NIL situation. How did you see that, if if at all, play a factor in this year's recruiting cycle? Um, because it is obviously, I mean, well, let's take a step back. All of the off-season hubbub, right, was, oh, well, John Ruiz has issues, and that means Miami's NIL is going to fall off, and that was a bunch of bull hockey, right? What happened is the Canes got stronger with their with their collective, with the Canes connection. NIL is, is a machine right now at the University of Miami who really paved the way on NIL. How did you see that all impacting this year's uh, cycle? Well, 
anybody that tells you NIL is not a factor just either doesn't know or is telling an untruth. That's number one. Number two, Mario Cristobal would not have taken this job if those financial elements and things that have not been done at Miami were not in place. The support had to be there. And that's the reason why past coaches couldn't win. It's because they didn't have the support from the people with the the money uh, that Coach Cristobal does. He's been chosen. He's been the guy that people want to get behind. And they're spending the dollars where they need to spend them. So if all that needs to happen, I mean, because, I mean, if you're fair, five and seven, seven and five, right? Which is really more eight and four-ish. And, and we could talk about, you know, Georgia Tech all day. But do it. You're, you're, you're trending, right? And so this third season is the judgment season, pretty much a standard in college football right now, right? You're judged by what you do in year three. So in year three, for the first time, you're going to bring back all your coordinators. You're going to bring back all your coaches. So what people have to understand and know about NIL is this is not a John Ruiz, you know, production. This had nothing to do with him. He was the guy that basically took Miami, spearheaded this thing. He was a lawyer, so he figured out what the rules were. He hired coaches. I mean, he hired the kids on the team to be life wallet represent, you know, representatives. He basically created the first collective. When collectives became legal, he made the transition. Now, the national media wants to focus on, well, his personal business is not doing well. So what? It doesn't matter. They made the transition seamless. Everybody who was a life wallet employee got switched over to Kane's Collective. And I personally talked to parents and beasts. You know I have these relationships. Yeah. I, I called the parents. I said, hey, are you getting everything that you were promised? And they said, yeah, Brandon, there's nothing has changed. They say if they say it's going to happen, it happens. I know kids personally who are driving around in vehicles and are wearing clothes that previous to their time at Miami, it would have been impossible for them to obtain. So I don't need anybody to tell me NIL at Miami is working. I can see it with my own two eyes for kids that I know their financial situation. And so that let everybody speculate about what's happening and what's not happening or whatever. That's fine. You can live in your own fantasy world. I'm telling you kids I've known since they were 10 years old, lives have been changed. So that's all anybody has to care about. And so when it comes to dollars and cents, Miami's figuring that piece out. And then I think this is the biggest thing in recruiting. The local community is now starting to embrace allowing kids to stay home and play. When you have a Fletcher, when you have a Bain, when you have these local guys who stay home and have a lot of success, it helps. Because now these young guys coming in, their families going to Hard Rock, it becomes like a party. I mean, these people, Miami is a very familiar place. Like, as far as you can have your family, your immediate family grows up here. You've got cousins and other people over here. You've got close affiliates. I mean, listen, everybody gets to come and support you. Your high school um, football coaches get to support you. Your youth coaches get to come and support you. Everybody gets to come and have one big celebration and take part of your success. When you go off to Alabama, Ohio State, other places, you don't have that necessary. And Mark Fletcher's talked about it. Ruben Bain said it was the best decision he made in 19 years. You get what I'm saying? And so when these kids who are talking about staying home 
continue to do that and the success builds, all you're going to see is the trendiness because this is a trendy town. You know, remember the white hot heat days. Remember the LeBron days. We yeah. jump on trends in this town. When this trend sort of changes the tide and there's more winning, and, and these national guys have said it, you don't want to be playing in hard rock when there's 70,000 people yelling and screaming in a night game and they've been having adult beverages since 11 a.m. in the morning. Like, that's, <laughs> yeah. not, that's not what you want. Yeah. All right. Let's 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 jump into this class. Uh, we'll go down position by position. We'll get your thoughts. Uh, listen, right off the bat, I need to tell everyone, I'm not a recruit, Nick, right? Like, up until maybe a few days ago, I barely knew half of this kids. But as the juices start flowing, as we start getting down to it, I start watching film. I start reading. I'm reading this. I'm reading that. I'm listening to this podcast. I'm trying to get myself familiar. But, you know, Brandon's someone that lives it 24-7, 365, knows a lot of these kids. So that's why we, uh, we're we excited that uh, we're able to have his expertise on this. So let's get into it. Miami gets one quarterback. We can talk, we're going to talk about the portal situation and the future of quarterback in Miami next segment. But Judd Anderson from up in Georgia, uh, a really tall kid, 6'7", um, kind of seen more as kind of uh, developmental. Um, but, you know, had a good career up there in Georgia, but that's the guy they got, and he was excited to be a Miami Hurricane. So just your thoughts there. Yeah, I ran into Judd um, at a 707 camp uh, pylon up in Panama City. I saw this kid dressed in his uniform, and I thought to myself, who in the world is that? That kid looks the freaking part. I mean, he is a physically imposing human being. Um he, he's just, he's every bit of six, 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 seven. Like he's a dude as far as how he looks. He's got the body. He's got the frame. He's filled out. You know, it looks like he's been in the weight room some. Like he, he, he's, he's a nice guy to look at on a, in a football uniform. Now, when I talk to Shannon Dawson about him offline again, because, you know, sometimes I get access that exceeds the media rights. His point to me about Judd was, He's done more with less as far as developmental talents at Houston and West Virginia and things like that. Shannon Dawson is really a guy that believes in his own abilities to develop quarterbacks. Now, some are going to say, well, Shannon, what did you do with TVD? But I would say to you, I think TVD is an OC killer. I think you have to look at Emory and look at the career he had under Shannon Dawson to kind of say, okay, here's a guy that, picked up in the spring, got here early, and was able to be developed enough because he really wasn't supposed to be counted on. Remember, he was supposed to be the second quarterback in that class, supposed to be Jaden Rashada. So here's a guy, and and, and why did he play over Ja'Curry Brown? These are questions we'll never know the answers to. So you think about a guy you never expected to see play as a true freshman, and all he does is go out and beat Clemson and has you within a touchdown of being Florida State on the road and was willing to give his whole body up. And, you know, and for that reason, he's coming back off of injury. But, yeah, I mean, I just think you X TVD out of it and you look at Emory, and that's why um, Shannon Dawson has the confidence that he has to feel like he can develop. And when you have a guy with a frame like Judd's, and he's got time because he ain't coming in here to be the starter, he feels like over time he can make this man into someone that, uh, opposing defenses with fear. And so, hey, man, he's done more with less, and so you got to just give him the benefit of the doubt. 
at running back Jordan Lyle, who they flipped from Ohio State. That was a big one. Um, and uh, Chris Wheatley Humphrey, another guy, uh, just a South Florida product. Um, listen, two two really good running backs. I think they did great there, and it only adds to what they have at that position already with you know Mark Fletcher and and Henry Parrish and, and everybody. Let's just say you're not gonna miss Don, you're not gonna miss Don Chaney. Jordan Lyle is a guy that has a lot of experience. He's been playing since he was a freshman at St. Thomas Aquinas. One thing I like about Jordan is he used to run really, really high. He's about six foot tall. He's a legit dude. He's like bringing another big back because Chaney was like that. He was kind of like in the 5'11 range. And uh, and he's got more speed. He's, he's, he's a faster Don Chaney. That's what he is. And so you're not going to miss Chaney at all. And you're going to get a guy that compliments Parrish and Fletcher because he's exactly what Chaney was. Chaney was the perfect balance between both because you got a speedy Parrish, a guy who can catch the ball. You got a very powerful Fletcher who has some speed, but he's not going to break away on you most times, although he ran really well at the end of the year, especially almost getting that touchdown late in the game. Oh, no, he did get the touchdown late in the game uh, to seal a victory. So, you just think aloud, he's the perfect blend of both power and speed. He's really dominant. He's so underrated. That That's a five-star running back. And so at the end of the day, you have to think to yourself, man, you, you stole one. Chris Wheatley Humphrey, just facts. His nickname is Hellcat. He, I went and watched this kid play. He does that step. He kind of puts you in the mind of a Dalvin Cook. He's a guy you throw around the corner to. And you have a situation where he's off to the races. He is so fast, so explosive, and he's really fun to watch. Wide receiver, the Miami Hurricanes did really well here with Nykar, JoJo Trader, Chance Robinson. And Chance has been that guy that's been kind of the cheerleader for this class the, the whole time. They they did a really good job at wide receiver. We're not going to talk about the one they didn't get. We'll go with that uh, the next segment. But the three they did get, really good. Yeah, no, uh, listen, you, let's focus, and I and I almost tweeted this this morning. Let's focus on the guys that they absolutely got, and, and you can't focus on what you didn't get. Josiah Trader is one of the best talents in the entire country at the rod receiver position, and this is a guy, let me tell you, he is a guy that I don't even think has played his best football. The sky is truly the limit when it comes to this young man. And you talk about Chance Robinson. Chance Robinson kind of puts you in the mind of a Kobe Young, like one of those big, powerful wide receivers with speed and the ability to make contested catches. He He's really physically imposing. He's about 6'2". He's a guy that's been in this St. Thomas Aquinas program for a long time. And at the end of the day, those two guys, and they played together, oh, by the way, at Miami Gardens Ravens, they played together as you football players reunited. Those two guys were really good talents in their own right. Like, literally, if Jeremiah Smith never existed and your class was Nykar, Josiah Trader, and uh, and yeah. um, Chance Robinson, you would be ecstatic as a Canes fan. And I think Canes fans literally have to realize what you got at the wide receiver position. And, oh, by the way, Xavier Restrepo may come back. Oh, by the way, uh, Isaiah Horton is a dude, you know, he filled in at times and has that, you know, stretch the fill ability. And you still have a guy named Jacoby George 
If you don't know who he is, just turn on the Florida State tape and, and see his ability to run away and make contested catches and really, you know, be active in this defense. He gets another offseason with wide receiver coach Kevin Beard. And I'm telling you, this wide receiver hall, everybody out of Georgia says Nikar is an absolute stud. Like getting him from Georgia, they say Georgia dropped him, whatever the case may be. I don't know how much of that I believe, but guess what? It doesn't even matter. Those three guys, those three young men, and you're adding to a very productive wide receiver. Like Jacoby George had almost 900 yards receiving with the mediocre quarterback. Let that sink in. Yeah. Okay? (laughs) I mean, like Xavier Restrepo was a few yards away from 1,000. Again, let that seek in. Like, this could get scary. And you're talking about – because the, the the one thing that that receiver position didn't have that other positions did, it didn't have tremendous amounts of depth. It was like four or five deep, deep. The wide receiver – I mean, the running back position, they went almost five deep. You know, they had Fletcher, Parrish. They had, you know, Chaney. They had Allen. You know, the, the freshman CJ came in a little while. Like, they were deep. You're going to see that with the receiver position now. Like, you're not going to know the ball is a run just by who they're subbing in. You're, you're not going to know. You, it's There are no tells now. That you're literally, you can get hurt on any play with these receivers that are coming in. At tight end, they bring in one kid, Elijah Lofton, uh, from the uh, the Nevada pipeline of Bishop Gorman out in Las Vegas, where they've gotten a bunch of kids as of late. Uh, a 6'2 kid, 220 pounds. Uh Mario had a lot of good things to say on him. I just, you know, again, I go back to how important is this tight end position uh, to this offense. It just wasn't used much this year, and it wasn't that productive this year. But we'll see if Elijah can make an impact. He's a freak. He's an absolute freak, and I say that in the best way possible. He can run the ball like a running back. He can get open. He's fast. He beat Miami Central basically by himself uh, in the beginning of this season. Um he he he's a dynamic talent, man. He he is every bit of an awesome H back. What they might do is you might see a Cam McCormick in like that primary blocking role, and you might see basically um a lot of 12 personnel, you know, as far as you know, one back, two tight ends, and you're gonna see sets where they might just run screens with this dude, they might you know, do that flick pass up the middle like you've seen in the past with really talented guys. Like, Shannon Dawson's going to have a lot of time, you know, um, scheming with this guy in tow. And and it, it's good that they were able to keep him in the class because he was an early pledge. And then I think people started seeing how good he was. I think there's some people who shied away from him because he's only 6'2". You know, he's like a Brevin Jordan. He's only, you know, who was only 6'3", from the same program, also went to Miami. And uh, he's not going to overwhelm you with size, but his production is, you know, really what it's about. All right, let's get to that offensive line. This was uh, one of the important positions, to, to especially because you had some guys leave, both for the NFL. Um, but you, you start with Mount Marco. I mean, uh, you bring in Marco Bell, the top Juco uh, offensive lineman. Uh, I think he's like nine feet tall. Um, but a great haul there. Plus Derek Plaz, he's been like the team cheerleader. He's all about it. Juan Manaya and then Nino Francavilla as well. It's a pretty good group. 
Yeah, real good group. I got a chance to check out Plas uh, in person. He played around the corner at Coconut Creek High School when uh, Monarch played Mandarin in the state semifinals. He's a big dude. Alex Maribal was there. Uh, he has been, um, you know, sort of the class cheerleader. Um, they really like the future uh, with Nino, the center from up north in Connecticut, uh, Tyler Van Dyke country. They think he's a developmental prospect. But the, the, the reason why this hall is so good is because they're not anticipating needing any of these guys. So I'm told by the staff that they really like offensive line. Like I, I brought up some offensive line concerns. Hey, losing Cohen, losing Matt Lee, like can this get fixed? Oh, 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 don't worry about this. Like we're good to go. That's the last thing. Like, you know, we got McCoy, we got all these other guys that are like, so you're talking about a coaching staff that is super confident in the position that they're known for. So like, that is really a good sign if you're thinking about a class, because it's basically like these guys are really good developers and they don't need any of these dudes. Yeah. So the one thing I think we can definitely agree on and, and know is that this staff, Mario Cristobal, Alex Maribel, Salavea, Jason Taylor, all these guys, it's all about the trenches with this group. They are going to get the trenches to be the best in the country. They're doing it on the offensive line, and with this recruiting class, the defensive line, oh, oh, I'm yeah. making weird noises. Uh, but let's start with the uh, the, uh, the, def- the defensive ends. I mean, you cannot get a much better haul than Marquise Lightfoot, Elias Rudolph, Booker Pickett, Cole uh, McConathy. Uh, just just an outstanding freaking haul uh, when it comes to a defensive line and the defensive ends. What you're looking at is pressure. You're talking about pressure. You're talking about getting after the quarterback. You're talking about those old school defensive lines at Miami that were known nationally, that had players who were up for awards, the Warren Saps of the world. That's what they want to return to. So when you get a late flip from an Armando Blunt, this is a 16-year-old kid. He's not going to turn 17 until he's already taken a month worth of classes at Miami. Um, At the end of the day, you get him, you get a guy named number seven player in the country and a Justin Scott, you know, from the Chicago area, um, who, who just has that physically imposing, you know, defensive line body. The guy that I'm probably most excited about is the guy from Bluntstown, Artavius Jones. I ran into him um, at UCF, and I, I just started talking to this kid and start seeing, you know, what was going on with him. And I'm like, dude, who are you? And he was like, oh, I'm Artavius Jones. And I'm like, do you have offers? He's like, yeah, I'm committed to Miami. I was like, oh, that's you? I was like, this dude looks literally like an Adonis. And he, he he's a basketball player. He can dunk the basketball and, you know, Coach Cristobal has said publicly that's what defensive lines at the University of Miami should look like. And so that you have to be really excited about this class, particularly at the defensive end position, Lightfoot. You know, Booker Pickett is is a, a guy who's a legacy here. There are a couple yeah, of sure. legacies in this class, you know, with Ryan Mack and his father, Rod Mack. And so at the end of the day, um, what Jason Taylor and Joe Savelle want to build is these physically imposing defensive lines that just apply pressure from everywhere. It's like if you got a block, if you have the ability to block five guys every single time, 
then yeah, maybe you can, you know, deal with this offense and this defense. But we saw Lance Gidry dial up a lot of pressure last year. And, you know, he wasn't even playing with a full deck. He probably lost his best defensive lineman in the first couple of games in Mesidor, and he gets to come back, and they got all this juice coming in. It is um, it's outstanding. Uh, we, we you mentioned the the tackles a little bit, but let's let's go inside. You talked about uh, Armando and Artavius, but we cannot forget Justin Scott. Just an amazing haul. The kid from Chicago. Uh, just a huge one, a five star, and then Dalen Russell on the back end. Uh, just, just amazing, man. What they what they were able to do up front with this defensive line and uh, yeah, I talked a, talked a little bit about Scott, but I'll tell you about Russell from Columbus. This is a kid that he single handedly won the state championship last year for Columbus. The guy was my height last year. I interviewed him after the state championship this year. He's like an inch or two taller than me now. He's grown. I, I, it's funny, Artavius Jones, he's like, oh, I'm not really sure about going to Miami. He's like, I don't know the other guys around me. I was like, dude, that Dalen Russell kid is a dude. Like, I don't care what you think he looks like. He's a baller. Like, you're going to be fine. If you're lining up next to him, you're going to be fine. He's a dude. And so, you know, I liked that, you know, kids are sort of like concerned about who else is going to surround them talent-wise. He kind of trusted the staff. Because, you know, he said that to me in confidence. And, I mean, it's over now. They're signed. But that's a conversation that he had. And somehow, you know, Miami was able to address those concerns. And, you know, you don't anchor a defense that won two state championships in the state of Florida at the highest classification if you're not a good player. And so really a lot of things to like in the trenches for Miami at the edges and in the interior. I mean, it's. It's starting to get a little Miami-ish. I, I hate to say that. It, you know, it sounds weird, but like, yeah, this team hasn't really been you like, and it's starting to get more, you know, it's it's right behind you, the logo, the iconic University of Miami logo. It's starting to feel more like that beast, and you were there for those glory days. For sure. I don't want to get you too excited because I know how you'll do, but, yeah, you know, let's calm down. But, I mean, there are reasons to be – kind of getting happy you know this is a good class thinking of uh old school miami they always had a great middle linebacker darius hayes is a guy that that may be that in the future uh six foot four 210 pounds um just an amazing amazing talent and then they got cameron pruitt who looks to be a will just a couple of linebackers in the hall there but i think they feel good about the yeah, they feel good about Hayes. I, I ran into him. He, he's got to put some weight on. But the beautiful thing is they had such an impressive linebacker, Paul, uh, last year. I think they took four guys that they don't even – that's the beautiful thing. When you start stacking classes on top of classes and talent on top of talent, what you're doing is that enables you to get rid of guys you don't want or don't need, and you start sort of making – everything a competition so the cream absolutely rises to the top because all these rankings and stuff are projections this is like on potential once you get down there everybody gets a fair shot like who's going to work hard who's going to put in the work in the in the weight room who's going to put in the work in the in the film room in the study who's going to be a leader who's going to make good decisions off the field and so what you're doing when you put talent on top of talent is 
you're saying, hey, may the best man win. And this is a, a linebacker core that really only plays two guys at times. You know what I mean? They've got to replace Corey Flagg. So that's a position that somebody's going to have to step up. He went to play with his brother at Missouri. He committed today. Yeah, makes and, sense. And we, we wish him the best. He was a great no kid. Doubt. He really no was. doubt. He's a great guy. And he'll, he'll forever be remembered what he did on that goal line stand in Clemson. But no doubt. at the end of the day, you know, when you're flipping guys from major programs, especially from the SEC, that's a good good sign. But um, I think these are two guys that, again, they'll they'll contribute on special teams early. But you probably won't see them on the field soon. But you like the base that they have. These are six four, six three guys. You can put on their frame. You can put them weight, get them, you know, juiced up and have physically imposing teams. And that's what you want. Let's get to the uh, the defensive backfield. We'll start out with the cornerbacks. A legacy, Ryan Mack, his dad, Rod Mack, I went to school with, spent a lot of time with at the University of Miami. He used to come over to the uh, the campus TV station and do a, a segment with us. We called it Return of the Mac because, you know, that song was popular back in the day. Return uh, of the Mac. Yeah, sing it out, man. Uh, so Ryan <laughs> Mack comes in. He, he is awesome. Uh, Dylan Day and OJ Frederick, who I think is going to be a, a special team uh, standout. That kid can hit, but uh, a pretty a pretty decent class. Uh, we'll see if there's anyone else out there they may get to come in either via the portal or a late signing there. Yeah, Day's a nice little dig. That's from uh, Dennis Smith's area and Gidry. You know, they went to Louisiana and got him. He's been on some good seven on seven teams. He's got a lot of pedigree in his own right. Ryan Mack, I saw him play twice this year, once in the state championship against Cortez Mills, a top 2025 receiver. And uh, also in just a regular season matchup that I broadcasted on my other network, footballhotbed.com, he played against Monarch and Jabari Brady, who's number 12 player in that whole class of 2026. And Ryan Mack gave up one play to each of those guys. And outside of that, they were quiet. Um, Mac is not a big member of this class as far as name, but I'm telling you when you're getting a sound dude that you're going to wake up one day and say, wow, thank God we got this guy. Yeah. He's a legacy. Yeah. His dad was the head coach of this famous Miami garden Ravens team. And, 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 you know, has a lot of pedigree. You could say it was something that, you know, the staff wanted to do to, to, to curry favor with him, to try to lure guys like Josiah trader, and James Robinson, Chance Robinson, I'm talking about James, his dad. But listen, this man has absolutely earned his spot in this class. This is a kid that played running back majority of the time in youth football. He he he, he was a running back and a safety. At St. Thomas Aquinas, they transitioned him to corner. And, I mean, he's absolutely bought in. He's 5'11", has great size. He's going to get in the weight room, probably take a red shirt. And he's going to be one of the most technical guys that you see. And the thing is, he has no shortage of speed. He's a track kid. He's really fast. He's not going to be outrun. Uh, and he can be physical at times. And I had him in my sophomore game uh, when he was uh, at St. Thomas Aquinas up in Atlanta. And uh, he's going to be a guy on special teams. He can return punts. He hasn't done it. But the, the guy's electric with the ball in his hands. And because that's what he really knows. And Frederick is a great get. He plays receiver at St. Thomas Aquinas. He's six foot. He's long. He's physical. He's got an edge. He was also one of those Miami Garden Ravens. I think they're four in this class. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's not fair. You know, like 
this class is just so freaking good. Like you, you forget about guys like Frederick and Mac, like they're at the bottom of the list, which is crazy. You know what I mean? Like these aren't just tagalongs. These guys are dudes. I, I know for a fact Pitt thought they had Ryan Mack locked down. He was going to be a cornerstone of that class. They really like him. And so you got a really, really good, talented defensive backfield that adds to depth that, you know, these guys really don't have to come in and play right away if they don't have to, but they're going to be really good special teams players like they were at St. Thomas. They know that they have to play the game. You know, they didn't walk right into St. Thomas and play. You know what I mean? So they know the process. So, you know, that's kind of cool in that regard. So uh, we, we talked about a lot about St. Thomas, but uh, the other big program that Miami has uh, targeted this cycle is Shamanah Madonna and one of the guys out of it is going to be a marquee player for this team, is going to be a guy that I think uh, eventually will fill the shoes of the great safeties that have played at Miami, that's Zaquan Patterson. Uh, he comes in, just an amazing talent. And then Isaiah Thomas as well, just just, just amazing job by Miami getting uh, getting Zaquan here uh, to the University of Miami. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing that we've talked for so long about this class and they're just now getting to Zaquan Patterson. Uh, he's a kid that I had in, in football hotbed in sixth grade, and uh, I expect him to start. I expect him to walk right into one of those positions. He's super physical, thinks just a smaller version of James Williams. Um, he 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 is so technical. He can cover. He can really cover, and, 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 and he spent a lot of time in seven-on-seven seven developing as a cover safety. He's not a guy you want to see coming over the middle. Um, I'm so excited about this dude. He he had two pick sixes. You think Cam Kitchens is a pick six or or, or freakish, you know, ball hawking guy? Wait till you see Zaquan Patterson. This dude looks like a receiver back there. Like two times this year, he ripped the ball out of a receiver's hands mid-play and took it back for six. That happened twice. He's a freak. He's an absolute freak. He's such a good get. Florida State is beyond themselves for not getting Zaquan. He's going to start right away. If he doesn't start by the third game, I'd be shocked. I mean, he's a freak. Uh, And last but not least, Abram Murray comes in as the kicker. uh, And that one is just a funny one because Abram Murray basically showed up one time at Miami in a camp and just is kicking 64 yarders. Mario Cristobal goes to meet him for the first time. And uh, Abram says, yeah, coach, I'm committed before Mario even got a word out. So uh, easy. Mario said it was the fastest commitment he's ever had in his life. And they got a kicker to, to replace uh Andy Borgala so so there you go that's a good one so that's that's the class now we have a couple outstanding issues that we need to get to one is what happened with Jeremiah J.J. Smith until the wee hours last night and two the future of the quarterback uh situation we need to dive into those two things and we will do that you're listening to the Real Ones Canes podcast we'll be back right after this back here in the real ones canes podcast on the beast brian loaded my co-host is brandon odoy and we are uh we are diving in as the national uh signing day the early one happened uh yesterday 
And we have a couple of issues we got to get to. But before we do that, we got to tell you, go subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Apple, Amazon, Spotify, wherever it is. And go hit up the YouTube channels as well. We have uh, plenty of content there. You can go uh, spend days watching and listening to everything we have done. All right. So, Brandon, a couple things. One, yesterday was some drama, a little bit of drama. Okay, a ton of freaking drama when it came to the big wide receiver out of Shamanan Madonna, Jeremiah, J.J. Smith, uh, the signing ceremony yesterday. He shows up. He's got a sign. I'm going to Ohio State. He says I'm going to Ohio State. And then we watch a video, and it doesn't really look like he actually signed a paper. And then this thing is dragging on, and Ohio State hasn't officially announced it. And Miami thought they still had a chance, and we're going back and forth. And in the end, he did sign uh, with Ohio State, but just what a bunch of drama yesterday. I don't even know if I'm still recovered from it. Yeah, quite a bit of drama. And then what added to that drama is – you know, Dennis Smith, sort of the GM for the University of Miami, uh, put out a bat signal uh, at least once, I think maybe twice. Uh, I've lost track now. It's such a crazy day. That had Kane's fans, like, literally thinking, could we get this kid after he announced that he was going to Ohio State? Like, is this possible? Yeah, in, in, it, it just but, in retrospect, that was the uh, defensive line transfer from Middle Tennessee, Marley Cook. Uh, right. who's a, Which a portal, is a great pickup, by the way. Yeah, you got no two doubt. D tackles. I mean, we didn't even discuss this in the recruiting, the transfer guys. You got two big-time D tackle transfers, all these freshman, you know, dudes at defensive end. This defensive hall, Mario Cristobal, like, they want to control the lot of scripts. This could get yeah. yeah, no doubt. So let's get back to JJ. What are your thoughts there? The thoughts are simply this. There's a guy named Jaden Rashada. He he was the star of last year's NIL, sort of crazy, ridiculous, like how crazy can things get in college football? So essentially what happened with Jaden is he goes to the University of Florida. He's promised one number, upwards of $10 million. He gets there and they say, no, we're closer to three or four. I don't know where you got that big number you got from. He's like, well, you know, I was promised this if I enrolled. And he basically sat in a hotel in Gainesville and refused to enroll early. And there was a standoff. He said, look, you know, I could have gone other places for comparable or places, you know, I wanted to be. And I came here for the big number I was promised. They basically said, you didn't get promised that by anybody here on this staff or anybody affiliated with this university. It was an outside sort of entity acting on behalf of the University of Florida. And long story short, he ended up at Arizona State after a very embarrassing back and forth or what have you. So flash forward to Jeremiah Smith. His family is very intuitive and smart and wanted every I dotted and every T crossed. So while he publicly made the pledge to Ohio State, he needed to see the things that they had previously discussed in writing. And they did not move to push the NIL back to Ohio State until everything was satisfactory on their end. So that's exactly what's being reported. That's what happened. Now, I'll find out what's facts from fiction before our next show, but that's what's being reported by, you know, very capable journalists like Manny Navarro and, and other folks uh, that are saying, look, this was just due diligence. You know, yeah, we're talking, we're announcing, but 
we need to see because we don't have to send this in. And, do, and I think the biggest thing is during that standoff, Jeremiah was still in communication with the University of Miami staff. And that's what was kind of like, could this happen? So Ohio State, their feet were to the fire yesterday. You got to credit them for closing because they didn't get that business done. They would have had one of the most embarrassing moments of recent memory in recruiting. So I did a a YouTube video yesterday uh, while this whole Jeremiah Smith was was up in the air. And the thing I kind of likened it to if you're a top recruit, right? If you're the number one guy in the country, if you're the if you're you know without a doubt bona fide superstar, right? Generational player, as people have called Jeremiah Smith, and that's what he is. Yeah, yeah. A school is not going to suddenly not have a scholarship for you, right? Like every school in the country will find a way to fit you on the roster. So signing a national letter of intent, that contractual thing uh, that nothing. guarantees a spot. You know, it's not as important to those guys. And it almost reminds me, especially with NIL uh, money being involved, of a National Football League uh, player holding out, right? Waiting for the right contract to come his way before signing on the dotted line. And you might see this more as we get going where guys know that, hey, this school's not going to pull my ship. I can hold out a little bit. I can make them sweat a little bit until I get what I need and – it's contractually obligated by signing a document or it's on paper. I don't want to be hoodwinked by someone telling me one thing. It's a bait and switch and it ends up becoming another thing. So, yeah. I mean, the, the business of all of this is definitely exponentially getting bigger. But a lot of these families and these kids and all their reps and everybody are getting smarter and know what they got to look out for. You talk to kids all the time and I'm sure you're telling them, Hey, look out for the pitfalls, man. There could be some, there could be some pitfalls in all of this. And the the thing you have to realize is Jeremiah Smith. He's the first cousin of Geno Smith, who's an NFL quarterback. He's got no shortage of resources in the NFL or agents or, you know, you're not dealing with the Joe Blow type of kid here or family. You know, you're not going to pull a fast one on these guys. You know, these guys have real advisors with real abilities and real finance, and they don't have to make moves. To be honest, he didn't have to sign at all. Jeremiah Smith could just say, hey, I'm enrolling in January, and I'll make a decision because, again, Ohio State doesn't have a quarterback of the future. They took Eric Nolan in this class. He's a really good quarterback. He and Jeremiah played together at South Florida Express in my football hotbed 707 tournament last February. That tournament's coming up again. They have chemistry there. He likes, you know, the situation there. Georgia possibly could have gotten back into this because, you know, Jeremiah Smith made it clear he didn't want to play with Dylan Raiola. He did not want to play with him. And he decommitted, and I started thinking, wow, could Georgia backdoor this situation and get Jeremiah Smith in the 10th hour because, you know, Coach B. Mack of Georgia had been in constant communication with the family, and obviously Georgia's Georgia, and Kirby Smart is the new Nick Saban. So at the end of the day, um, there were a lot of, you know, things that were kind of up in the air, but, you know, credit Brian Hartline, credit everybody at Ohio State. You saw Ryan Day's reaction on YouTube or on on television or wherever you saw it, because when he said, oh, we got him, like, it's almost like he was surprised that they held on because Miami had been such a, 
you know, Ohio State killer in the game. And, you know, Miami owes Ohio State pretty much every favor they can, <laughs> you know, provide of, of every nuisance that they can be. You know, they pretty much got handed a national championship on the most phantom of phantom calls in, in the history of college football and big play moments. So there's never a, a love loss between those two football programs. But at the end of the day, they were able to hang on. And let me say this. This is where the kid wanted to be all along. The kid honestly feels that that's the place that's going to get him to the first round in the NFL. Now, my feeling is I could coach Jeremiah Smith in college and he's going the first round because he's already pretty much a polished product. Yeah, I mean. But you can't change the mind of a 17, 18-year-old kid. And I know Jeremiah, he's he's not a dude that's easily persuaded. If he gets an idea in his head, He's going to run with that. And you know what? I credit him. He stood on business. He said, this is where I want to be. Ohio State's not known for big NIL deals or putting a lot of money. And they found it because I know they found it because they were under a lot of pressure. For sure. Uh, I do give credit to the University of Miami staff because, as you said, they kept pushing. They kept pushing. They did not give up on this one. And let me tell you, that could pay off because if they go up there and – Remember, Jeremiah Smith didn't start his high school career at Chaminade. Right. He started his high school career at Pace, Monsignor Pace, in Miami Gardens with Josiah Trader. And then after some things went funky over there, they both went their separate ways. They ended up at Chaminade. Josiah came after his sophomore year, and Jeremiah went right in the middle of his sophomore year to Chaminade. So... <laughs> You know, history could repeat itself. I would I would be very careful if I were Canes fans on throwing Jeremiah Smith and his family under the bus. I, would, I, I haven't seen much of that, but this may not be over because if he goes up there and it's not what he expects, not like all the pressures on Ohio State, if, if, they, if they don't have if, – if, if they don't do everything that he expects, if he's not feel, getting the ball, if he's not developed, if he doesn't play early – because I think Jeremiah Smith would have immediately walked in and been the starter at the Kobe Young position. I, I I just think he's a day one starter here. Now, if they don't do that for whatever reason, I mean, I can't imagine with losing Emeka and also Marvin Harrison that he won't start right away up there. But if for some freakish reason, like he doesn't have the expectations met, you know, the portal is a very busy place. So. Just a little warning to my friends to the north. I did see a couple of people say, hey, it's okay. We'll see him back here in 2025. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, last but not least, before we we've wrap this thing up, we, we Miami's still looking for a portal quarterback. I, I don't know what's happening wow. here. Uh, uh, like, do you have any insight or, like, I, I just – I don't know what to like Cam Ward. Is he going to the NFL? Is he, is he, where's he going? Uh, is it this kid from Arkansas? I, I don't know what's happening. Listen, let me go on the record and saying, and I may be dead wrong about this. I think KJ Jefferson here would be Tyler Van Dyke 2.0. Unless you plan on running this guy 20 times a game. I don't see him fitting here. There's a reason Arkansas wasn't very good, you know? <laughs> and at the end of the day, I think it's Cam Ward or Malik Murphy and uh, or just like, you know, I don't know, because I've heard from everyone I've talked to and I talked to one of the Texas state staffers 
uh, who had Cam Ward at Incarnate Word. I said, man, is this guy worth all this talk? Like, I mean, is it really, is he really like that? Because I, I haven't taken the time to watch him and break him down. I just rather take the coach that was with him and that coach defense against him pretty much every day in practice. He's like, yeah, man, this dude's legit. He's the real deal. They were putting up like literally almost 45 points a game in an incarnate world. Like they were absolutely going crazy. And it was a shock to them that they didn't win the FCS national championship last year. But a big part of the reason is Cam Ward and his abilities. So he goes to Washington State. They come out like gangbusters, 4-0. He probably just didn't have the team around him. But, you know, he's got Miami at a real standstill. And you have to wonder if that was a part of what Jeremiah Smith used to sort of discriminate against the University of Miami, because at the very least, he knows he's getting Aaron Norland as a freshman. And freshman quarterbacks have played at big universities before, namely Ohio State. So with them losing Kyle McCord to go to Syracuse, he walks in with one guy. He's probably familiar with the other guys down on the roster. It's freaking Ohio State. So it ain't like they don't have guys. Is way better than the situation at Miami where you're literally looking at one guy who's hurt, one guy who may leave right after the bowl game, and you're bringing in a developmental dude. And, and it's like, that's kind of hard to say, hey, man, come on in. But, you know, the quarterback position is, is tough. But it it's hard to say you'll be judged. This class will be judged by what they do at quarterback after Cristobal and his staff had done such an amazing job in the top five. But you know, you don't see very many people winning championships without elite guys at that position. And so this is still a question mark and it's, it's unsettling, but you have to, you don't want to, but you have to give Mario Cristobal and the staff the benefit of the doubt. I mean, they've made water into wine so far and I mean, you got to trust however they're playing this Cam Ward quarterback situation that it, it's going to work out. You see Dante Moore go to Oregon to kind of back up Dylan Gabriel. Like, that seems strange. I know they want a veteran. I know they want a guy with, with a lot of experience, not so much a, a, a high school guy. I didn't like the Judd take. I'll go on record as saying that now. Nice young man. Again, I think he's too big of a project. Um, quarterbacks is a question mark in my mind. So we'll see. And- and and listen, I, I think Emory is a nice player, um, but again, he got hurt. And the other thing is, he yes, he did a great job against Clemson. He almost won the Florida State game. Still only one year of college football. In some of these battles that Miami's going to fight next year, they need a veteran. They need somebody that's been through all of it, right? Like somebody that has seen, uh, uh, seen some battles. Um, just, sure. it's just weird. I just think if you if if Cam says no, you go quickly to Will. I mean, I I don't know. Well, do we, did did Will did we know it? Did he sign with USC or not sign with USC? Do we have any I idea? No, but see that's the thing. Transfers don't sign; they just enroll. Ah, so it's not over. You know what I mean? And that's why you can't go off. You can't just get mad. You don't know how it's going to end yet. You know what I mean? Like. It's just these these are just commitments, you know, mm. like you could still end up with Dante Moore. Like I think they could flip like Miami starts classes on January 16th. Lots of things can happen. 
all I know is uh, after seeing what Michael Penix and Bo Nix did, being being transfers, going to different programs, getting a new lease on life, and then seeing them in New York uh, at the Heisman ceremony, it gives me hope that hey, maybe uh, maybe whoever the whoever the guy that's got next is for the University of Miami, maybe he can have that kind of success as well. Let me say this, and, and I'll close on this. Yeah, quarterbacking is a one-year deal now. There's no such thing as, oh, we're going to quarterback. In the, that's hogwash. These guys get in the portal at any time. You got to go year to year with these dudes. You just don't know. The only way you know you got a guy is if he doesn't jump in the portal in the spring. You've got to take this year to year. You've got to bring in guys to compete. Because if you don't have a quarterback, you could actually go down to your third quarterback, whether or not you go to a national title. It happened to Florida State. They pulled it off. I think they got hosed. But, sure. you know, the quarterback position is important, to say the very least. All right, Brandon, before we uh, get out of here, uh, I want to wish you Merry Christmas. Have an amazing uh, holiday with your family and your friends and surrounded by loved ones. I want our listeners and our, our viewers out there to have an amazing but safe holiday time, right? Very safe. E- yeah, very safe. Uh, you know, listen, celebrate, but do it, do it wisely. Yeah, be responsible. Um, it's a great time of year. We got a bowl game coming up. Miami's practicing. We'll have more on that next week. Um, and we'll also have some some uh, redux on uh, whatever happens. Uh, in the, that's a nice looking tree right there. That's a nice like. Christmas tree. Happy yeah. Hanukkah to you and your family. Uh, thank um, you, thank you very much. We did we did okay for ourselves. Um, but next week we should have some good info, and maybe by then we'll know who the quarterback is. Maybe, maybe Santa. Maybe Santa when he comes down your chimney. We Brandon. need a we need a quarterback, Santa. Yeah. Santa, bring us a quarterback. Yeah. Hey, can you leave some extra nice cookies so he brings a good quarterback in the portal? Thanks. I'll make sure my kids jump right on that. So, All right. Thank nice. you, bro. Hey, all right. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week. Remember, go subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Go hit up the YouTube channel. For Brandon O'Doy uh, and myself, have a very Merry Christmas, everybody. We'll talk to you next time on the Real Ones Games podcast. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.